0: Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with artist and designer, Andrew Hawkraddle. Andrew and I chat about how Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas triggered an interest in creating worlds through the arts, how he balances teaching graphic design history at California Baptist University, working as lead designer for Sandals Church, as well as freelancing and other creative side projects, how he determines what kind of side projects and freelance work he takes on, And more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they are making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products just in time for Creative South, Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers starting at $149. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else, a shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support creative south podcast stickers and t-shirts so please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south Andrew thanks for uh, joining me tonight yeah I'm excited to be on I'm excited to have you on, and, and well, this is going to go up afterwards. But I'm looking forward to seeing you at uh, Creative South in a few weeks.
1: I'm really, really, really excited for it. I think it's going to be a really great time.
0: You, know, I'm sure, you know, people are going to be very shocked to see you resplendent in all of your um, carnival splendor for you know top hat, red tails, all that good stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that. I, I was excited when they told me, hey, you're going to be hosting and it's going to be like a carnival theme. And I was like, oh, my gosh, please put me in a ringmaster costume. And there's mention of a ringmaster costume. And we're recording this before, but I'm hoping as you listen after, you will have seen me in full glory ringmaster costume. Uh, and in preparation, I watched Greatest Showman 12 times. Okay. Just had to make it through. Got some good singing, sing-alongs in. It was, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was about to say, you know, now that Greatest Showman is out, I'm pretty sure it'll be a lot easier to find a ringmaster costume than ever before.
1: Oh, a hundred percent.
0: So cool. Well, l- let's dive into things and then uh, start off with, tell me where you grew up.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Sacramento, California, um, up North, uh, Northern California, the Capitol, uh, exactly the Capitol. Yes. We did the fourth grade field trips to the Capitol building and walked around all that
0: stuff. Good I'm pretty, old, su- old I'm pretty town sure Sacramento. I remember that from fourth grade. So
1: yep, exactly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, and so I grew up up there um, in a little suburb called El Dorado Hills. Uh, it was a weird like kind of rural, but then like kind of city. And my neighbors had an emu farm, but like we were just in like the suburbs of it was the weirdest combination of like country hick meets like small town.
0: Um, I'm, I have so many questions about an emu farm.
1: Yeah, there they were just emus there. We'd like drive and there emus like in his backyard, but it looked like it was some kind of official establishment.
0: I mean, was this like, a, did he live on a lot of land or was this like a normal suburban sized American backyard that he happened to have a bunch of emus in?
1: Yes, it was like a normal suburban America backyard, but like set up like it was a farm. Like it was like a kind of like mini farm that looked like it shouldn't have been there, but somehow was like still working. <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I have so many. I want to track this man down and ask him so it was a questions. whole
1: thing. Yeah, it was a whole thing.
0: <laughs> so so did he ever like give you emu eggs to or, or was no. he just raising them for the meat?
1: Yeah. I don't know what he was doing. We like never talked to him. We would go over and like look at the emus and like have like corn and stuff and make them like eat out of our hands. Mm -hmm. We very rarely saw him. Like if he came out when we were feeding them, he'd just kind of like do the wave and then go back inside. Like, all right, cool. As long as he's not mad that we're feeding his emus.
0: So not the most social of people. No, no, no. (laughs) He might
1: have been with his emus, but not with us.
0: I feel like, you know, someone who's raising emus is going to go one of two ways they're either going to be way too talkative where you're creeped out because you can't get away or they're just going to be very won't talk to you keep to themselves are better exactly are better with their emus
1: yep exactly
0: (laughs) So, so when you were growing up aside from having emus next door uh what type of kid were you
1: uh i was like a weird mix of a whole bunch of things uh I was homeschooled for a little while, so I was like the stereotypical like homeschool kid that's like you know doing projects and presentations. Where I'm like, I want to build a diorama. Um, <laughs> and then once I got I, into we school,
0: homeschool my kids, and they do not say I want to do a diorama. So okay,
1: <laughs> I, sorry, I was I was very much like that. I was just the nerdy kid that like totally didn't get it. Uh, and once I transferred into uh, transferred into like a small private school. And I was kind of like the weird nerd kid that like didn't understand how school society function worked. Um, <laughs> well this so, comes from homeschooling. Exactly. Yes. Where my mom was my teacher.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. And so once I got in, I was kind of like the weird kid, like kids made fun of me, didn't really have a place to like fit in mm-hmm. and kind of like figure out how to be a part of that. Um, and realized that like if I got really good at basketball because I was tall,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I was probably six one in like 4th or 5th grade, size 15 shoe. I was just a freaking monster. Uh, How tall I are you now?
0: You're like four. Yeah.
1: yeah, still size 15 feet. And just, well, yeah, at least I stopped at uh, a certain point. Exactly. I'm very happy because I can never find shoes. I can imagine. Uh, but yeah, I, I realized if I got good at sports, then kids would like me. And so then I got good at sports. So I ended up being this weird hybrid of like the jock who was also like the theater nerd who like was artsy and kind of just figured my way how to meander into all these different circles. And yeah.
0: Cool. So, you know, going, going through school and high school and all that, at what point, at at what point does art become a focus for you? I think as far as
1: design goes, probably not till way later. Um, I had always been interested in this idea of kind of uh, creating a world in kind of whatever way I could. Mm -hmm. Um, This is like a super sad way to go into like the arts. But I, (laughs) I kind of I know I. I remember seeing uh, Tim Burton's Night Before Christmas for the first time in like junior high, maybe early high school, Mm -hmm. uh, and just being like totally perplexed with how he created this world where so many things were wrong and weird, but like it just worked. Like as you watch it, you're like, sure, like I just have to accept it because everything works so well, even though technically like everything's so weird and wrong. Uh, And I just love that idea that like he could create a world that he could kind of escape into and live in. And that was very appealing to me being the kind of like weird outcast, like made fun of kid. I'm like, Oh, I'll just like figure out how to build a world that I can exist in to where I'm in control to where I can kind of fit into whatever I want. So that started early on and then Mm -hmm. eventually got into theater, which is again, the same idea of trying to like exist in this imaginary world. Sure. Started to get into art, started to get into design. Um, and I remember the first time I designed something, I was in a yearbook class and there was like a picture of a volleyball player who's going to spike this volleyball. Uh-huh. And I like got the magic wand tool and I like clicked in, you know, the volleyball and just moved it like a little bit closer to her hand. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's magic. I've <laughs> like moved the volleyball closer to her hand and now no one can stop me. Uh, and I remember that feeling of like being able to augment reality into what I wanted it to be. Um, and I just loved that idea. And so, so I started you were exp-
0: mad with power.
1: I was mad with power. Yes, there's a scene in community where the dean is designing something, and he he's wearing this virtual reality suit, and he rips open his hands and he's doing all these hand motions, and he says this quote, which is like one of my favorite quotes of all time. He's moving his hands, and then he stops and he goes, "The font is now larger, and he wept for there are no more worlds to conquer." <laughs>
0: You know, some days I feel like that.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yep. Just flip over the table and be like, come at
0: me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get stuck on a design project when you finally accomplish something. That, it's true. That's kind of how you feel. So. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So when when you get out of high school and, you you know, a- after you're done controlling the world with moving volleyballs closer Yep. And 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 building your own worlds with that, when you get out of high school, what do you end up doing?
1: Uh, I ended up, uh, playing a summer of college basketball. Okay. Uh, I got picked up by a local school and I'm like, Oh, I'll get to stay home and be close. Uh, played about a week into the summer league and absolutely hated it. Uh, decided basketball wasn't going to be for me. It turned into a job. It wasn't fun anymore. Uh, and decided to go into college as a theater major. Mm hmm. Uh, I thought, okay, you know, I love musical theater. I love theater. I'm going to go into college as a theater major. Uh, eventually realized, mm, I don't know if that's going to be a super great career path for me. Uh, <laughs> weren't quite which, weird enough or <laughs> exactly. Yes. Which my, <laughs> my response to that was, Ooh, I want to become an English major so I can be a poet. And then I'm like, man, that that's probably not a great career path for me either. That's slightly uh,
0: more pretentious. It's slightly more pretentious. <laughs> I know.
1: Uh, I was just chasing this idea of like being able to create things uh, and eventually got into uh, a yearbook classes where I started mm-hmm. my freshman year. And started working in yearbook and newspaper, living in InDesign and starting to explore the world of design. And that's where I kind of landed and realized, oh, this is what I love. I love building this context for content to exist in and just Mm -hmm. creating these like immersive worlds that people can experience.
0: Gotcha. So I'm assuming you start taking classes and start, you know, focusing on, do you keep focusing on the print side of things or do you start focusing on digital what or or do you go general
1: yeah i kind of just jumped in head first to anything i could uh i kept doing uh yearbook i kept doing newspaper we started a magazine so i started doing that uh i started taking classes doing branding Mm. uh working with topography uh kind of eating up as much as i could um it was something that I had wanted for so long that was, that felt like it was a home for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it's something that when I realized that, that I'm like, this is what I've wanted. Like, this is the thing. I just jumped in and started eating up as much as I could trying to understand the programs, literally sitting in Illustrator and just going like menu item by menu item uh, and just making an ellipsis and being like, let's see what this does to this ellipsis (laughs) Uh, and trying to understand how the programs worked uh, and just tearing them apart so that I could bend them to my will eventually.
0: How many many times did you go through that process with that ellipsis and... and the filter or whatever it was, did absolutely nothing to it. And you scratched your head and tried to figure out why.
1: Yep. A (laughs) hundred percent. Like that's when, yeah. If there was something that didn't work, I'd be like, "Mm, I'm going to Google that one. I look, I'm like, okay, I don't get it. I'll figure it out eventually, I guess. (laughs) Come back to it later.
0: (laughs) I've been doing that for the past 20 years. So I, you know, there's plenty that I still don't know what they do.
1: Yep. And there's (laughs) plenty that, that you do the thing and then you kind of look at it and you're just like, huh, I'll never use that, but that's cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now Uh, I know. I can't tell you how many times I've actually used the um, pucker and bloat feature. Well, that's the one plot. I was
1: thinking of. Yep. I think yeah. I've used it like once to like try to make a a diamond, and then I'm like, well, I'll just make a make a star. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When you learn, you can double click on that uh, star feature or and just select the amount of points that you want. Yep. It makes things a lot easier and quicker.
1: Triangles are so much easier. <laughs> Three pointed stars. <Yeah>. My students <laughs> always lose their mind. When when they're I'm like, how do you guys make a star? And like, well, you can draw
0: it out, and you try to do this and that. And
1: I'm like, okay, but a triangle is a three pointed star, and their brains just explode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've I've had that conversation with someone before, and Mm -hmm. just gotten that confused puppy look that you you're able to see me doing the, but I'm I'm hoping the listeners will know what that look is right off the top. Yes. (laughs) So you're you're going through, you're literally diving into every feature that you can figure out, um, what, do you ever kind of, while you're going through school, figure out what you want to do with it?
1: I don't know. Um, I think as I was going through school, I think that I've always had this, kind of rebellious spirit uh that like i want to be this individual like creative that like you don't understand me uh you know how creatives are sometimes uh (laughs) so you want the
0: black trench coat the cigarette and you want to go brood over in the corner
1: oh i've got a pinterest board just full of that stuff uh (laughs) and I, i think as i started to learn design more um I really started to develop a process that worked for me. And Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to face that kind of road of, do I try to become this chameleon that can do everything in design? Or do I try to pigeonhole myself in a style that's unique to me? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was much more interesting to me to be able to, do things well enough, but then have a thing that's like, cool, I think this can be my zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so growing up watching Andy Griffith's show and Twilight <laughs> Zone and all these like old, like for some reason, I grew up only watching TV shows from that were like black and white uh, in the olden days. And was so it, was I was really this by wanted- choice
0: or was this and I'm asking this because you were a homeschooled kid and all. Yes. this And then so.
1: Yeah. So my parents like pretty much would only let me watch stuff that they had watched that they approved of. And so instead of like growing up on like Hey Arnold and like Power Rangers, I grew up on like I Dream of Genie and Leave It to Beaver. Um, and instead of like Britney Spears and In Sync, it was like Dean Martin and like Tony Bennett. Oh I wow! Guess. <laughs> Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. So I'm I'm a very old soul in some way, even though I'm young on the outside.
0: So so you're not as the kids say hip.
1: I am I am not hip. I'm very out of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so w- w- when you get when you get out of school what do you start doing
1: uh yeah I, I actually uh ended up double majoring design and uh public relations okay because i I was working in journalism and thought hey you know this is a nice little tack on mm-hmm. uh, and started working at a marketing agency doing public relations with like a little bit of design uh here and there on the sides sure um That was, you know, they were working with a whole bunch of clients and it was this immediate like dream, like I had achieved it. Like we're working with these huge clients and Disney and Microsoft and whatever coming into this agency. And then having this moment where I'm sitting at my desk and I'm like, oh this is soulless and it's draining me. Like it was absolutely (laughs) killing me. Sure. uh, Living the agency life. Like the, it felt like it was kind of this dog eat dog. Like everyone just wanted to devour each other and step on each other to get to the top. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was exhausting for you.
0: Yeah. Or at least all the agencies I've worked in, I've heard of agencies. I've heard of several agencies that are not like that, but all of the agencies that I worked in was very much watch your back. (laughs)
1: Yep. Exactly. And so I, I actually started teaching at my university, um, the semester after I graduated. Okay. Um, and so that was something that I ended up really loving. That was kind of my lifeblood for that little while when I was dying at work and then I'd go teach, you know, the next morning before work. And I'm like, man, I love these kids. I love that like passion and being able to inspire this next generations coming in, being younger, being able to relate with them was kind of the thing that got me through, um, and once I hit that moment where I was like, man, I think I'm done with this, uh, mm-hmm. A position, a designer position opened up at the church that I went to. And I was like, you know what? I'm out deuces. Uh, just, <laughs> just bail, took a huge pay cut, like going into ministry. Yeah. Wasn't I was about sure to say the there's not a lot held. of money oh, yeah. in
0: working at a church. No,
1: no, no. Yeah. You don't do it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> do it for the love. Uh, <laughs> And so, yeah, bailed out and started working, uh, over at Sandals Church in Riverside. And, uh, I'm the lead designer now, been here for seven years, mm-hmm. been teaching still for seven years. Uh, absolutely love my students and kind of found myself in what's really, I think my dream. I think that I graduated into what I thought was the dream and then very quickly realized that wasn't what I actually wanted and have since fallen into this place where I'm like, I'm so happy I'm thriving where I am. I get to do a ton of freelance on the side, get to do my own thing, uh, get to teach, get to contribute to ministry, get to do all these things that I'm passionate about and that I love uh, all at the same time, which is great and exhausting.
0: I, I can imagine. So what was it? How did the teaching gig come about? Cause that's in my experience from what I've seen, generally when you finish up at a college, they don't want you back there to teach because you have a close relationship, and they don't want you to basically see behind the uh, scenes of how things work and get a jaded opinion. So how did how did that come about? Yeah,
1: it it, it was kind of weird. I mean, it was it was literally I graduated. They needed to fill a class uh, mm-hmm. for the next semester, and my name got brought up. Um, actually, by my one of my PR professors had recommended me, not one of my design professors. There's like, he has really great energy. You know, I had been editor in chief at the yearbook. So she's like, he, you know, he has good, good job with teams. He can like teach. He sat um, down and
0: looked at every feature on illustrator. Exactly. Yeah, she knew.
1: <laughs> uh, and so it was that recommendation I taught the the first class that I taught was it was a business presentation class. Uh, that was the basics of Adobe Illustrator. Okay. It was a very confusing class for me as the teacher. Yeah. Uh, to where we we basically just taught the basics of Illustrator so that these business students would be able to make graphics for their presentations. So it was a very like low-level kind of walking through the book one at a time, teaching how to right click, that kind of stuff. Uh, wow. Which was tough. Yeah, which was tough. And then the next semester after that, uh, my design professor came to me and said, hey, we got this class for you. We think your energy is really great for it. We think it's going to be you know a good fit. And so then I started teaching uh, history of design. And okay. so I taught history of design for a year they said, students love you. It's, you know, the energy is awesome. It's a 7am class. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> and so then after the first year got added on history of photography, so then I became the, for the history students, I was a really fun history professor. And for the design students, I was a really boring <laughs> design professor. So it was, it was fun.
0: So, you know, as, as you, as you're teaching me, especially with history of photography, how much are you having to teach yourself at the same time just to basically stay ahead of the students
1: oh yeah so i i had not taken either of the classes that i taught when i went through the program
0: uh, <laughs> and so
1: yeah yeah which is really fun and so it was it was fun to go through and again it's something that does i'm so passionate about design and mm. i've always I, i've secretly always hated history i'm just like oh it's happened who cares And then once I got into the material and started really diving in, Mm -hmm. it gave me this context for where design has been that I think has made me a way better designer to be able to understand what's come before me and then being able to just reach into the past and grab some movement and kind of rip it apart and piece it back together and then create something that's going to be new and interesting knowing that it's worked in the past. So I don't have to create and have this this question of like, is this going to work? It's like, no, it worked like... 50 years ago. Let's bring it back, twist it a little bit and see what's new about it.
0: So does that mean it's okay to use like Coca Pelly man as design stuff?
1: <laughs> you can make anything work with the right context. You can make any content work. I, I strongly believe it.
0: Well, that's why head shops have Coca Pelly Man all over the place. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, <coughs> so as, as you're, let me gather my thoughts there as as you're going through and basically teaching yourself a week ahead of students and, (laughs) and building up your chops that way, you know, obviously with teaching there also comes, you've got to plan a curriculum and you've got to be a good communicator and be able to communicate those ideas, Mm -hmm. which isn't that side of things. Isn't something that you necessarily learn in, PR school or design school um, of being able to how at least when I went to school that part wasn't taught yep so
1: yeah I think I think that if you love it enough like it just kind of pours out of me it's not something where I'm like practicing my lectures like I have my notes and stuff but most of the time I'll read through my notes and pick out what the stories are Mm -hmm. and I have such a passion for, for just retelling these stories. Um, and I've, I mean, I've always been a theatrical person. Like I'm just a big personality in general. Sure. Uh, I pretty much only listen to musical theater when I'm at work, uh, love going to see plays and I've always kind of always been this onstage personality and I love being in front of students and knowing that my passion will hopefully inspire them And knowing that, you know, I'm showing up for a 7 a.m. class and they're all going to be like half asleep. Like I know it every single week. Like if they're there, they're going to be half asleep. But they're not there. They're sleeping.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) And knowing going into it that I have to be so high energy, so over the top and care so much about this content that I'm communicating because they're coming in not caring about it. Sure. Uh, And trying to convince them, hey, I need you to understand that this isn't just a story like this is so important to you. And if you understand this concept, if you understand what happened in design a hundred years ago, it's going to be so beneficial for you going forward. And I care about my students. I always tell them at the end of the semester, my like benediction to them is always this concept that as designers, we are the creators of culture, right? Mm -hmm. We make culture and we're creating what's next. And in my mind, I, I always tell them, I know that you guys will be creating what's next. You are the ones that will create the future and I will be living in that future. And so if I'm not passionate about it, it's a disservice to me and I'll be living in a future that like might suck because I need to be inspiring you guys because you'll be creating the future that I live in and I want that future to be freaking awesome. Uh, and so I have this I feel like I have this weight upon my shoulders to really push into them and really give them that energy and communicate super specifically to hopefully inspire them to make really dope stuff.
0: <laughs> I feel like you, at the end of that, you need to pick out one student and just get and so don't let me down, Jimmy.
1: Do exactly. Not let me yes. down
0: and just like yeah, stare just a, him, comma, stare, Jimmy. stare, stare, stare daggers through his eyes. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Sit down in front of him. This yeah. is just you and me here now. <laughs>
0: That or just pick like a random name that's not even in the class just to see the look of confusion on all of their faces. Exactly. Gotcha. So as you're kind of expanding and, and building on the teaching role stuff, do you start teaching more classes that actually focus on mechanics of design or do you still keep with focusing on history of design and things like that? Yeah. I'm curious, it's sorry to interrupt. I'm curious because you're an adjunct professor. I'm assuming you don't have a master's degree. Nope. So no, nope. just, just the bachelor's. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I actually have only, I've taught the same two history classes for the last six years, mm-hmm. haven't expanded to anything else. And I kind of really like that. Um, because I am already trying to hone my technical abilities Uh, it kind of gives me the leeway to be like the crazy uncle professor to the students, right? Like isn't like trying to like teach them Photoshop and be like, oh, your like toning is off on this photo. Mm. Um, I'm the history professor. And so they'll come to me for advice as a professional in the workplace, not as their professor.
0: Sure.
1: Um, And so it's nice because they'll bring me projects from their other classes and say, oh man, I saw this like type piece that you did. I want to do something like that. How'd you get that texture? How are you... Uh, finding the type that you're using. Why did you set it like that? You know, what feedback can I get on my project? And I really like being that uncle that isn't their teacher of design that is teaching them kind of these broad tools that they can use in their other classes. Mm. So I think if you can understand how the history of design works, then the actual technical application hopefully is something that you're just learning and passionate about on your own. I think the history is something that needs to kind of be added on top of that. Sure. Uh, I always tell my students that come to me with t- kind of technical questions. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm like really proficient in Illustrator, proficient in Photoshop. Um, I always sort of back at them and I'm like, that's literally like a, a carpenter coming to me and being like, oh, professor, I'm like really, really good with hammer. And so I just need <laughs> you to know that. And I'm like, yes, you like you should know your tools. Yes. Be very proficient in your tools and hopefully I will be able to give you some extra things of how you can use those tools to create things in the future.
0: That's one of those things where I cuz I'm in a position now where you know, I hire people and when I see a resume and they list their skills and you see all of the software stuff listed in there yeah i i chuck i mean I can't say I'm not guilty of doing the same thing, but I chuckle every time because it's like yeah you you're supposed to know that 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 i'm assuming you know that you don't need to tell me that what you've gotta show me what you can do that I don't already assume that you can do
1: exactly yeah uh, that idea of kind of like I don't care about how you execute it I care about what the core of that is cuz mm-hmm. I think if you have a good idea and you're not super proficient and you're you know not technically skilled and you execute it it's still a good idea at its core mm-hmm. if you have a bad idea and you're the most amazing technical executor in any kind of creative cloud it's still a bad idea like it's just a polished turd and so being able to teach how to think as opposed to how to make I think is something that is very profitable Mm -hmm. and then, you know, down the road, even if things are changing and technology is changing, it doesn't matter because the ideas that you're coming up with and the way that you're thinking and the process you're using isn't reliant on the tools.
0: Yeah. I I think that's a good way to look at it because, you know, things aren't going to be around forever. You know, Adobe may have the foothold in design right now, but 10 years ago, it may be somebody else. It, you know, it, it, You know, those those things happen. So, you know, kind of switching gears and over to your other job. Yes. Where where you are sitting currently. Here um, I am. At 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 Sandals Church. Walk me through that because I've I've never really I've I've talked to a couple of designers who have worked at churches in the past. Yeah. But didn't stay there long. I've never talked to someone who's kind of progressed through the ranks and stayed there for a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I came in, uh, kind of bottom level was a weird, it was like, like visual arts, associate design, whatever thing made a title. Yeah, dude. Like working, yeah. Working in ministry, like just titles made up everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, eventually moved my place to lead designer. And that was part of when I was moving, I was like, please don't give me a crazy title. Just lead designer. That's all I want. Uh, And it's been something that as I've been here um, and I came into working at Sandals uh, really from a place that it seemed like an amazing pairing of what I was passionate about and the support uh, to kind of come behind that. Mm -hmm. The vision of Sandals Church is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. And there's this vision of authenticity that was so refreshing to me. Um, I'd grown up, grew up in the church, uh, and really grew up with what you see at a lot of churches that's kind of this graphic style. That's, you know, three years outdated. That's mm-hmm. feels like somebody like settled three years outdated. It. That's a, that's cutting edge. I know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know. Like it feels like every meeting just ended with like a, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that sandals church wasn't about that. Um, there was this space for trying to figure out what is next. Um, and I think as I've been here longer and longer, it's just been supported more and more and more, mm-hmm. uh, as we've been through rebrands, as we've been through, you know, serious production, uh, we've really tried to take this idea that the church used to be a leader in art. And I sure. think that there is room for the church to, to come back into that. Uh, I think that a lot of times, And I'm talking about like just big, general, ethereal idea of church. Uh, I think a lot of times there's this idea that they are chasing a sort of relevancy. uh, And that's why you'll see the design work that is, you know, just a little bit old. That's like still cool, kind of. That There's this chasing of relevant. And at Sandals, we really have this idea of flipping that. And instead of chasing relevant, we're trying to define it to say, Hey, this is what's coming next. This is going to be, you know, the next thing in design. This is the next step and really trying to move out of influencing other churches and influencing, hopefully the design community in general. Uh, we always talk that our competition isn't other churches. We never look at other churches for inspiration or what are they doing? What can we do differently? Mm -hmm. Uh, we say that our competition is anything that takes away the attention of people from coming to live a real life here at Sandals Church on the weekend. So,
0: so we're competing
1: against yeah, exactly. We're competing against Facebook, we're competing against Disneyland that's 30 minutes away. Sure. We're competing against, you know, Sunday football, the NFL. And so we're looking at those companies and figuring out, okay, what are do they doing design-wise? How can we take them on directly so that we can capture the attention of people? So that they're spending their time here, hopefully getting into a more real life with themselves, God and others instead of, you know, going out to a football game or whatever. So that's kind of our mindset going into
0: it. So how do you compete with that?
1: Yeah, Uh, I think that we we try to take chances. We Uh try to push and kind of live our life with this reckless abandon of taking what's happening or something that has been relevant in the past, uh, and kind of processing it to create something that's hopefully new. The process that I always use on every project is I start out trying to figure out what do we want to say and how do we want to say it? And I'll go through three steps where I'll examine the past, which is looking to design history, figure out something that has worked before, consider the present figure out what's happening in the world, what's happening culturally, um, what's going on now, and then create the future, create something that's a step past uh, that's kind of twisted through this lens of now. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that we did at the beginning of last year, um, we were going through a moment where our church was kind of moving in a different direction. Uh, There was kind of this feeling that we needed something Knew we needed to reposition for where we were going because we were kind of stuck in where we were.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and as we brainstormed and went through what was my second rebrand, uh, we kind of came up with this idea that as a church, we're not about, uh, a look and a feel. We're not about trying to like dress up a message sure. in this fancy box. Uh, and we thought, what if we just strip everything away and kind of throw caution to the wind and make it so that our vision is the first thing that we put out there and basically kill the idea of us having a logo of us having like a brand of us having anything, uh, and did this huge destruction of everything that we had had for the last 19, 20 years, uh, introduced this system that we've kind of built that we're calling a D brand, which is a thing from international typographic Swiss style Mm -hmm. that it's no logo, know anything that would be the thing. The thing is our vision and communicating our vision and everything else falls to the wayside. We're tons of type, only black and white, um, and trying to keep things so that it's super direct, uh, and really flipping hopefully the table on. We don't care if you recognize us as a church. We care if you understand our vision, which I think is, is a little upside down for, where we were at least for the last 20 years. But I think hopefully it's something that's going to lead us forward and something that, uh, brings people to better understand what we're about.
0: So, so, cause I remember you talking about the D brand. Um, I think it was around October, November, like you kind of mentioned it online. Yeah. Um, and the I'm familiar enough with the Swiss style of stuff of how that works, but how is that applicable to y'all? How does that, how do you utilize that to tie into your vision?
1: Yeah, I think we, we wanted to simplify, uh, mm-hmm. we're a growing church and right. we're open we opened five, four or five campuses this year. And so as we looked at it, we wanted to, We wanted to focus on a system that could scale very quickly Mm -hmm. uh, as well as address the issues that we were having where Sandals Church was kind of just becoming this like brand name of a church, like this cool church. Like, oh, I go to Sandals Uh, and we had kind of dressed up the vision and all these metaphors of like Sandals Church is about like people's feet are nasty, but like, it's okay to be real here. Cause like feet are nasty. And there's like all these metaphors so, and I know it was a lot.
0: So it was what, a lot. Go ahead. We're, we're, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, I'm no, no, curious about this. Were you, did y'all feel that Sandals Church was being looked at as this franchise mega church and that was taking away from your ability to spread the vision and, and that, that's why it was time to strip things away.
1: Yes. And I think that, um, as we grew, uh, I mean, over the last five or six years, Mm -hmm. we've just grown by thousands and thousands year over year. And so it was becoming, you know, that thing where people walk in and they're like, Oh, it feels like it's too big or like, you know, Oh yeah. I just like, you know, casually go to sandals and people were starting to be more, more concerned with attributing us to almost like what you would attribute like a lifestyle brand. Right. Mm -hmm. That, uh, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, I go to sandals. Like, of course I go to sandals, you know, I just go to sandals. And when you ask them like, what's the vision of sandals, you know, what are they doing there? Why are you a part of it? It, They wouldn't, it wasn't at the forefront. It was something that you'd have to, um, I think like I go on the weekends and like, you know, like I'm just, I'm a part of sandals. Yeah. Sandals. Uh, and so part of that debrand was, We don't care if if you know us as Sandals church, we care about our vision. We don't care about, you know, enticing you with these bright colors and, you know, like fancy graphics. We want to hit you straight up. Here's our vision, black and white, super direct, Mm -hmm. and take away a lot of those like metaphors that we did. So instead of sandals meaning this idea of like feet are dirty or whatever, we introduced new phrasing of the first step is being real. Uh, in that, you know, like you're on this journey. We are the first step. Like you can be real here. This is somewhere that you can start. Uh, and almost playing in that idea that anyone on a journey, you're not gonna start hiking on a mountain with you know mountain boots. Start at sandals. Like come on in, strap something on, and you know, hop in and let's take this journey together.
0: Gotcha. So, how does the the stripping away of the design aesthetic that had been built? help accomplish that? Uh, that, How does it help simplify that? I mean, visually I can see how it helps simplify that message wise. I'm not sure that I'm getting it. Yeah. I think,
1: I think we, we try very hard to build a context for whatever content we're presenting. Okay. Right. And so even on the weekends, I'm usually not concerned about what's being preached from the podium. Sure. That's not my thing. I'm trying to build a platform for whatever that content is, and so I think we almost wanted to merge the two when we did this rebrand mm-hmm. and say, "What if the content was the context? What if, what if instead of it being, you know, this like, oh, it's neo noir, but it's this other thing? It's saying." this is our vision, this is what it looks like, and this is what it says, and that's all you're getting. Black and white, here's what it is.
0: Okay. I think I'm getting it. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) to to not ask the same question in five different ways again, (laughs) I want to move on and talk about some of your other endeavors, because you do freelance on the side. I do. Um, Walk me through the scenario of what type of projects you like to take on versus what your dream project would be?
1: Yeah, I I definitely, I mean, like everyone does the stuff that it's like, this is just for money and no one will ever see it. Uh, I, I got one of those, of those clients now
0: of- and they're, they're paying me good money. And it's, exactly. it's going to yeah. pay for new tires on the cars. You know, it's, yep. lots of stuff. Yeah, <laughs>
1: but I, I've tried to, and again, come back to that idea of what do I want to say and who do I want and how do I want to say it Um, I've kind of settled on three words for the projects that interest me. I want it to be cold, I want it to be bold, or I want it to be old. Uh, Those are things that kind of have existed just at the center of me. Uh Um, I think especially working in ministry and having all these other places that I am doing work, Mm -hmm. there's something interesting to me for personal work and work that I want to show, that I want to represent myself as, Mm -hmm. um, that explores kind of the gamut of human emotion. I think that there's a lot of design that I see that tries to make you like feel good. And I'm very interested in letting other people do that and trying to find the zone where I make people like feel good and exploring these other things to where, you know, like Sagmeister does that. <clears throat> maybe I want you to be offended. Maybe I want you to be angry uh, and trying to figure out, OK, what does it look like to do work that makes people uncomfortable. That makes people feel angsty. Uh, these kind of complex emotions that are outside of you know the typical client that comes to you. That's like we want a happy logo that everyone can resonate with. Uh, mm-hmm. I really love those projects that are kind of like we just want to push the envelope, do something crazy, and see you know what we come up with. That's the stuff that's really interesting to me.
0: Okay, so let's dive in. With let's start with cold. Give me an example of what you view as a cold sort of project or thing.
1: Yeah, I I think, I think cold is something that, uh, I I think most of the time for me, it's very type driven. Okay. Uh, I think that it's something that when you think about it and when you have that like voice in your head of what the type looks like, it just feels like, you know, somebody that's passing by and like saying something to you, something that doesn't have a lot of emotion to it, that it kind of just feels this one note kind of ethereal settled feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times uh, I'm trying to think of who will do work like that. Like Jesse Draxler is a, is an artist. He's an incredible artist mm-hmm. and he's one of those people that I look at and I'm like, that's, that's like the zone to where it just, it feels weird and it doesn't feel like it's trying to like inspire me or anything. It just feels like, this like ex-girlfriend that made me an art piece and like sent it to me <laughs> like out of spite. And I'm like, oh, that's that's really interesting to me. You're
0: speaking from experience there?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, bold. Uh, bold is in your face. Uh, I mean, Sagmeister is always the the quintessential example of that, that it's, you know, I'm going to carve this into my body or, you know, this this poster is going to be one giant letter. Things that just unabashedly, kind of flip the table on what it should be Mm -hmm. and just lean completely into what it could be that, you know, it probably should be this other thing, you know, and the the client's like, Oh man, it it probably should be this. And being able to flip the table and be like, what if it was this completely different thing that was just off the wall and something that, that I have to stand behind as a designer and say, I don't care if people hate this. I know people are going to hate it. Let's flip it and let's be bold and stand behind it and just see what happens.
0: Have you pitched the getting naked and letting cockroaches call over you yet?
1: Uh, I, I I literally just literally, uh, on Thursday pitched a series for, uh, for our next series. We're talking about kind of understanding yourself better Mm -hmm. and kind of delving into, you know, your deeper self. And I literally pitched a series that I want to just run billboards all over Riverside just say, let's get naked, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and just come up with, yeah, this, this idea of what if we what if we did the thing, you know, almost that Carl's Jr. did where Carl's Jr. uses sex to sell cheeseburgers? Why can't we use that in a way to sell understanding yourself better? Gotcha. So yeah, it's which sandals usually is a great place to back, back us up and our creative team up on, let's do something really bold and see what happens. They're usually like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs)
0: Let me know how that one goes. Um, so old,
1: Uh, gosh, anything twilight zone, like, uh, any old film titles. I think I I got obsessed with film titles, uh, probably at the end of my college career. It's something that I grew up watching, like, you know, uh, Maltese Falcon and, uh, old, like neo new or old, old, like noir stuff. And that's Mm -hmm. something that's always just been in my heart. That those like title cards like fade into each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, are just glorious. And so that's, that's really a spot that I love existing in, uh, is making like old title cards, uh, things with lots of noise that like weird white glow. That's just like burnout on the film. Uh, I love, love, love that stuff.
0: Gotcha. Let, let's, let's jump forward in to photography and Taco Bell. Oh yeah. So yeah. How, <laughs> was this your idea or was this their idea? it
1: was really a joint idea. We were kind of just talking one day, um, about the idea that we had seen people doing like graduation photos. Well, let, oh, sorry. Let, go ahead. Yeah. Let's,
0: let's back up with it because people aren't going to know. That's true. <laughs> so, sorry. So I just jumped look, right in. Give some context to it.
1: <laughs> yes. So, um, probably a couple months ago, uh, a friend of mine, really my best friends that I'm just pretty much live with them. Uh, she was super pregnant and she goes, man, I just love Taco Bell. And when she had just gotten pregnant, uh, when she just found out she was pregnant, we actually won a contest and got to go to Taco Bell headquarters. Oh, yeah, and, like, I remember you go- was
0: talking about that.
1: Yeah. Like we went to the test kitchen and got to like try all this stuff. And that was right at the beginning of her pregnancy. And so she's like, it would be really great at the end if we could like follow this up and do something with Taco Bell. Uh, and we were kind of looking and seeing, you know, like what have people done with Taco Bell stuff? And like people had done like graduation photos and like marriage photos at Taco Bell. And I was like, what if we just did like a full on like maternity shoot, like in a Taco Bell and just style it so that it's like super chic, but everything's just Taco Bell themed. Uh, and so we, we just rolled up to a store and we're like, Hey, can we like have a corner of the store and bought a bunch of food? And they're like, Sure. And so I set up set up a little lighting in the corner and we just sat in the corner and came up with, you know, different setups of, you know, oh, yeah, hold the nacho cheese like that. OK, like put the nacho cheese on your baby bump. And, you know, like, let's do we really <laughs> oh got it's not coming this. off.
0: It burns. I know. Right.
1: <laughs> we really wanted to do like this, like super uh, kind of like. Punch to the traditional maternity of like, you know, the woman that's like standing in the window in the gown and she's like looking out. Uh-huh. And so we did a bunch of those shots that are just stereotypical, but she's like taking a bite of a crunch wrap or she's like eating a chip or something. Uh, and she actually had the baby the next day. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. Like less than 24 hours after, uh, had the baby. And so we had sent the pictures over to Taco Bell uh, and we're like, hey, we did this maternity shoot you know, we think these are pretty cool. Uh, and they ended up doing a blog post that was like maternity photos in Taco Bell, uh, which ended up being this really fun thing to see something that was kind of this fun idea that we decided to just go out and do one day, kind of turn into something bigger and watch the kind of the train roll down the tracks.
0: Now, I only wish that you could have gotten like, you know, how there's also that trend of the maternity boudoir shoot where, you know, you you lay her down and just like cover her in sauce packets.
1: Yes. Like it's like the um, gosh, like that sushi that you can get where like uh, you actually eat it off of people like that. But we talk about, yeah,
0: like that yep. or or where, you know, you see the ones where they're like they're kneeling down and they're holding their baby bump and like their breasts are covered in that gauzy fabric <laughs> and all that stuff. But with that, you do the Taco Bell wrappers.
1: Yeah, the wrappers. Yep, exactly. I, I
0: you know, I, I think for your next shoot, you need to pitch this. I, I love it. I I actually actually know a couple people who work, um, at Taco Bell's design. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put you in touch. (laughs) I'm interested. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great example of, of kind of the, the things that I love of when you create this context with Uh a content that like doesn't make sense and just slam them together that you're like, okay, the context is that it's a maternity shoot what if the content is that it's Taco Bell? Like those things don't go together. But when you slam them together, you come out with something that's really interesting
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and I think was super fun.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. Did it yeah. Were the people just looking at you like, what the hell is going on? Yes. And then this one, this
1: one woman was there and she like came up to us and she was like hysterically crying and we're like, what's going on? And she's like, well, when, when my mom was pregnant, she craved Taco Bell. And so this is like a very special moment for me. And we like talked with her for a while and like took pictures with her. And it was like this whole thing that like everyone was crying and I'm like, why are we crying? We're in a Taco Bell doing a maternity shoot and we're crying. What's happening? (laughs) It was very confusing.
0: Now that the baby is born though, you have to go back and do a you know, baby shoot with oh 100%. a hundred percent.
1: Wrap them up like a little burrito. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: This I mean, this see, this is the example where you can take those sauce packets and you know,
1: and all the, day and
0: the wrappers and yes, work perfectly the, Yeah, Cre- like create and, a diaper and, out of the wrappers.
1: Yes. Do you like get one of those taco salad things and do like a and oh and yeah, kind of bowl? like he's yeah. in the taco salad crunch bowl. Oh, nice. Gosh. All right, this needs to happen now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Start taking notes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, you. On, on top of freelance, on top of sandals, on top of teaching, on top of photo shoots at Taco Bell, you also have done some performance art pieces. How yes. did, How did that come about? I, I'm, I'm really curious about that. Yeah. Performance um, art is one of those where it is either super moving or super, what the hell are you doing that for? Yes, and I
1: love that. Look uh, at you, Shia
0: I, LaBeouf. Because I know you love. Oh
1: gosh, I love you, Shia. <laughs> um, I think there's something about the 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 bold idea that I love that is just that performance art appeals to me. Um, I watched, uh, oh gosh, Marina Abramovich's documentary called "The Artist Is Present," mm-hmm. and it's kind of just a retrospective of her work. And I was so inspired by this idea of in an art gallery setting that usually people go to, you know, have an enjoyable experience to look at art, to kind of be, you know, like intellectually stimulated of jumping into that space and saying, no, you're going to be here in this moment with me and I'm going to make you feel something completely different than what you're experiencing anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I love that idea of uh, creating a space that's, you know, again, setting that context and seeing, let's see what content comes in here and see how it exists within this context. Uh, and so, yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, I pitched an idea to this gallery uh, and they actually gave me the back room of the gallery and mm-hmm. I never thought they'd go for it. And they're like, sure. And I'm like, Oh crap. Now we got to do it. <laughs> um, and we set up this. Those are the best ideas
0: though, aren't they? I, yes. Yes.
1: A hundred percent. Uh, and so the name of the show, the title of the show and the theme of the show was, um, uh, unlikely visitors. And so I wanted to play off this idea of instead of doing a piece that, you know, showed an idea of like, oh, that's an unlikely visitor to something where people would experience the art from an outside perspective to where they would look and they'd say, oh, that's the art. I wanted to try to flip it and say, what if what if I created a space that then they became the art, their interactions became the art. And I just set the context of the piece so that as they walked through, they realized, oh, what I am doing is actually the art here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, which is really weird. Uh, and I know it. And I said, <laughs> well, at least
0: you're aware of it. Oh
1: yeah, totally. Uh, I set up this full bedroom in the back room of this gallery and there was a door on it. So I had the door like kind of closed, turned off all the lights and I had a basket of just flashlights. Um, And I set up a full bedroom, like rugs and office chairs and bookshelves. I had my bed in there. Um, I had like an ironing board with like an iron and like dirty clothes everywhere. (laughs) Uh, And then I hung up my photography on the gallery wall. So it's still, I want it to feel like a traditional gallery experience in some way. Mm -hmm. You're going in, you know, you're looking at art that it's just a gallery. Uh, But I wanted to have that unlikely visitor twist. To then this moment that they come in, they look around and suddenly realize that they're in someone's bedroom uh-huh. and, you know, kind of like, okay, okay. Like I get it. The settings of bedroom, you know, keeping looking at the photography and then realizing that there's someone sleeping in the bed and that they're kind of intruding on someone else's space and realizing, Oh, it's me. I'm, I'm the visitor in this situation. Like I'm literally suddenly find myself in someone's bedroom when they're here. Uh, and so I, I was sleeping on the bed trying to sleep. It was really distracting. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I just kind of laid there. Um, and it was really interesting to lay there and hear the interaction of the people walking into this space and thinking, oh, you know, this is a cool experience this is a cool way to look at black and white photography, you know, with a flashlight going around and then realizing, oh, there's someone, oh, there's someone sleeping in here. And people like literally leaving the room and being like, oh, this is this is really weird and kind of like walking out. And then the people that are like, wow, this is really interesting to the kids that would walk in and just start pulling open drawers and exploring (laughs) stuff um, to the people that would like take things out of the room that would move furniture. Um, I had someone like lay in bed with me. I had someone. (laughs) How uh, did you react to that one? I just lay there. The the whole thing for me was that the art of it for me. Was that I had kind of built this context for them to exist in, and I was completely hands off. Whatever mm-hmm. they were going to do in this space was a part of the piece, uh, and so it was fun to watch and have these moments where I'm like, I can't, I can't do anything right now. I can't move, or else I change. I changed the context that they're experiencing this in. I ruined the piece if I react to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I laid there. Somebody took a stamp and stamped my back all over. So I had the ink all over my body. Was it a fraternity uh, party? But I know it, it was. It was interesting that. At the beginning of the gallery show, people walked through and one by one were very quiet. Once they noticed that I was in there, they kind of got reserved. But once the gallery started to get more busy and there were more people in the room, Mm -hmm. it became rowdier and rowdier. And I think that it's interesting, this this idea of this social kind of interaction, that if you walk into a space and you feel like you're not supposed to be there – then you, you kind of want to retreat, you know, and get out of that space. But if you walk in and there's already people there, then you have the freedom to do whatever you want. And that's when people started moving furniture and putting on my clothes and like all kinds of crazy stuff because they felt more comfortable in the space, which I thought was really interesting.
0: <laughs> I just the anxiety ridden person in me would be so concerned about how people were just going to like interact with me. Yep. And, and like if somebody had crawled in bed with me, I am worried that I would like freak out. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think
1: th- that hopefully there's this understanding between me and them that I- I'm creating this piece. I've set this kind of context for you and the real, the real, uh, interest for me. And I think the real art of it is almost holding up this mirror to say, Hey, when you think that no one's watching, when you think you're behind closed doors, what kind of person are you? Mm-hmm. And I think that it was interesting talking with people after the fact and hearing as they came through and hearing their reactions of like, I felt really uncomfortable and I needed to leave or like, you know, I felt like really sneaky and I almost had this like power that I wanted to like steal something of hearing, you know, these interactions where people are realizing and hopefully understanding themselves better sure. because of the space that had been created. And so hopefully those people that like stamped me realized like,
0: Oh, we're just like terrible people in our hearts. (laughs) I hope so. I I hope they just burn in hell. (laughs) So I, I I forgot to ask you about this earlier, but I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. On top of all of those other things that we've mentioned, um, you've also been designing fonts and, and, and selling. How did that come about?
1: Um, I, it, it came about from, uh, working on projects and needing to build a couple letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started with kind of this idea that I love of almost trying to build a person out of what the letters look like. Um, I think, oh gosh, uh, I think it's Richie Stewart, um, did a project where, uh, it was Fast Joe's Barbershop. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I use it in my class forever to basically have this example of type is a person. Like when you set type, there is a person behind that, whether it's a fictional character or not, there's a person that is speaking those words to someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he has the most excellent example of setting type and creating type that as you look through the work, you have this image in your brain of who's saying it, how they're saying it. And you scroll down, there's this picture of this guy and you're like, that's exactly what was in my brain. Like the person that was saying this to me is this guy, this picture that's now sitting in front of me. And so I thought that was so interesting. Uh, And so as I started on projects, I'm like, oh, I need, you know, to build the word water. Sure. I'd try to figure out who's saying water. Like, what do they look like? Are they edgy? Are they soft? Like, what world does this exist in? Uh, And being able to build out the alphabet from there then and putting the character in the R and a little bit in the S, you know, making the W a little different, you know, making a Q that has a little uh, hook on it. That just creates these characters that Mm -hmm. I think are really interesting to me. And I never wanted to make type and sell type that was like, oh, this is, you know, body copy font that you can use for whatever that's technically just good type. Uh, I wanted to create stuff that's like, you'll probably use this for like one project or like it's very, very specific voice. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that I want to try to hit. Uh, that's like, like this is the type that you need and these are the letters that have the perfect voice hopefully for what you've got going on
0: gotcha well since since we're getting close to our time first why don't you tell people where they can find the type if they want
1: yes, to yes creative market uh, creativemarket.com slash Andrew Hawkroddle that's, that's me just creative market
0: awesome and we'll put links so people can uh, find it a little easier or be lazy on their phone Yes, please. Yes. Um, real, real quickly before I let you go, what else exciting do you have coming up?
1: Uh, man, this will be after creative South, uh, after creative South, I hopefully have a lot of non-exciting things happening <laughs> <laughs> going through Some Easter. Rest and relaxation. Church and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we, right after creative South, uh, oh, actually this will be after that, but I'm, we're looking forward to right after creative South, um, I'm a part of a community. We call ourselves Two Cents uh, mm-hmm. with some other designers, Ben Stafford, uh, Matt Wally, uh, Jeremy Booth. Some people are in there. We're kind of taking a little retreat uh, and that's kind of become my home base in the design community. They're kind of my people. Um, we actually started, we're trying to start up more groups. Uh, and if you want info, you can go to two cents group to get info on that. But we're trying to build out uh, smaller communities. And so we have a little retreat every year and sorry, retreats coming up and I'm very excited for that, to get a little rest and relaxation.
0: Awesome. Well, Andrew, thank you so... Oh, where where can people find you online before I say thank you? Oh,
1: <laughs> yes. I'm uh, on all the social media. Uh, just Andrew Hockrattle on everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, yes, Dribble. wherever you want to find me. Just Andrew Hockrattle. H-O-C-H-R-A-D-E-L.
0: Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to chat with me tonight.
1: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: All right, go ahead and hug some necks. Yep. You can find out more about Andrew on Twitter at Andrew And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative Pod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at J. Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVE SOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.